They are known as the Twin Cities, but when it comes to how some view law enforcement, Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota cannot be further apart. In 2020, America witnessed tragedy unfold in Minneapolis, triggering weeks of riots and civil unrest. Just a few miles to the east, the St. Paul police chief refused to allow one incident be used to define our profession. On this episode of The Blue View, we're joined by Todd Axtell, Chief of Police of the City of St. Paul, Minnesota, where he leads an agency of 820 employees. As the oldest police department in the state, the St. Paul Police Department has become known for delivering trusted service and with respect every day without exception. Chief Axtell's Bank of Trust philosophy one which views every call for service, conversation, and community interaction as an opportunity to make a deposit. The department has been able to maintain its stellar reputation and strengthen its ties despite the historic civil unrest, a global pandemic, and several high-profile cases. I'm Patrick Gills, President of the National Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Chief, thank you for, for, for joining us on A Blue View. If you could, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Patrick, thank you so much. I appreciate. It. First of all, thank you for uh, for your decades of service uh, uh, during difficult times and your leadership that you have provided the entire profession. For that, I'll be uh, eternally grateful. A, a little bit about me. You know, I, I am uh, from Minnesota, born and raised, and spent my entire life as a resident of this state in different uh, corners of the state. Uh, started my police officer career in two small towns, Breezy Point and Pequot Lakes in northern Minnesota, and found my way down to the capital city of St. Paul in 1989. And I remember at that time uh, feeling like, uh, you know, I had made it my, uh, you know, mountain moment of wanting to be a St. Paul police officer at that time had been met. And now, 33 years later uh, on, the, on the department, never wanting uh, or desiring to be the chief at an earlier age, I find myself now on the sunset of my career and and retiring on June first after 33 years of service. So it's been a it's been a, a, a wonderful, amazing, challenging ride over those years. And uh, now I want to spend my chapter two helping other organizations and people navigate the crisis that I have uh, endured over the years. Yeah, Chief, uh, thank you for your years of service, uh, such a noble profession, and uh, and you certainly have left a, uh, a legacy uh, behind. And I'd like to, to talk a, a little bit about uh, one of the things that I think is so vitally important to the, sec- to the success of law enforcement. And, and that is, is that, uh, you know, you have your approach is that four spokes of a, of a wheel. And, and I think that's what's often lost. If we look at what's happening in our country in the past 18 months, the struggles that we've had, what we see is a, really a tale of two cities. Uh, we see cities where where there is an adversarial uh, relationship with their law enforcement and the uh, criminal justice system. Uh, and then on the other side, you have cities that, uh, that truly get it. They understand that we're all part uh, of, of a wheel. And we all have a very, uh, very important role to play. And when we work together, it's a false multi- a force multiplier. We, we, we have successful and healthy communities. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your, your, your strategy and that uh, that bank of trust that you've been able to build by having community community interaction at a level that helps them understand and appreciate uh, the roles that we all play. Yeah, thank you very much. It's it's so important. One thing that I have learned over my career is whether, whether I describe it, sometimes I'll describe it as, as uh, the spokes that support the wheel. Sometimes I'll, I'll describe it as the pillars that support the organization and the community. 
but but it all is is under, under with the foundation of of supporting the bank of trust with your community and i often say that every positive deposit into the bank of trust makes sure that when you have your bad day in your organization or your city because we all have those bad days if you if you don't have a full bank account uh, you, you get yourself in trouble real quick. So the four, I'll, I'll just refer to them as pillars today. Uh, the, the community, number one, the workforce certainly is number one, uh, you know, right there with it. And then uh, the electeds in the media, those four functions are critically important, not just to a police leader, but also uh, the women and men of law enforcement, whether you are, you are in uh, a member of a union, uh, uh, running a union, running an organization. I've all often said that getting the best contracts for your police officers and getting the best contracts for unions is to make sure that those four spokes or those four uh, pillars are attended to. Making sure that the community has confidence and trust and a good relationship with the women and men of law enforcement is the best way to get the best working environment and the best way to get the support that we all need more today than ever in the history of policing in this country. We all know the last two years specifically have been the worst. Um, but I believe during those times when we're having the worst uh, moments of this profession, there are certainly brighter days ahead. And if you attend to making sure that, you know, if, if, if elected officials feel the pressure from the community, that's how you create change. So making sure you're making deposits into the bank of trust with the community you serve each and every day, making sure you're making deposits in the bank of the trust with the workforce and the media. If the media doesn't trust the words of uh, an organization, you're, you're done. And, uh, and, and that just can't be stated enough. You have to be trusted. You can't lie. The truth sometimes is very ugly, but the, the, the quicker you get out there and own mistakes, the more credible you become. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It, you know, every every challenge we have, every every single one of them, good uh, a good challenge, or, or, or you know, some of our most trying are really uh, really nothing more than opportunities in order to be able to to build that trust and and uh, examine. I don't think anyone in law enforcement has ever said that we get it right all the time. It's a there's a human element involved in what we do, and, and as a result, uh, especially when it's non compliance, is always going to be a, an uncertain outcome. And uh, trying to manage those are, are important for us as a profession to, to do so in a professional uh, and respectful way. And uh, so you can, uh, you know, I really love the, uh, the, the four spokes uh, uh, concept because I, I truly do feel uh, th that those relationships, they don't, you don't foster those at the height of a, of a crisis. Mm -hmm. You foster those by doing it repeatedly over time because it's within a culture of an organization. And, and, and we can look across the country and see the agencies in the communities that truly get it. They truly uh, part of, of a holistic approach in order to, to, to address the, the, the quality of life in all of our communities. Unfortunately, law enforcement seems to take the brunt of, uh, of, of where we fall short in these things. And, and not all of them are law enforcement related. Uh, they, they have to do with education systems. They have to do with poverty. They have to do with family units. They have to do with a whole lot of things that, that are really much, uh, much greater than just a law enforcement component, but they all are key elements to the quality of life. Can, can you talk about some of the, 
uh, share with us some of the things that, that the, the positive qualities that you, that this relationship has given over the years and how it has transformed uh, the St. Paul uh, Police Department into the agency it is today. Yeah, so we fortunately, you know, the the success of of chiefs, as as you know, and we've all observed over the years, is really, or, or any member of the organization, is the success uh, of the shoulders that you stand on. People who came before you in the past, we we have a long, strong tradition, history in our department since 1854 in the city of of making sure we hire chiefs who have been uh, raised within the culture, in the history of our of our community, the expectations of our department have always been uh, to to make sure that we're doing everything we can to build relationships and make sure our community understands we are not the police department, we are your police department. Uh, when I became chief, I, I wanted to take it one step further. So I created the community engagement division. So we had as most organizations, operations, support services, investigations. So I propped up our community engagement division, which was specifically designed to make deposits into the bank of trust. Uh, you know, I, I reflect back to my first day as chief in St. Paul in 2016, we had a very controversial and, and violent use, use of force where uh, uh, a man by the name of Frank Baker was uh, mistaken identity, bit by a canine uh, kicked in in the ribs three times, collapsed two lungs, uh, broke about 15 ribs. I get a call from the NAACP, somebody who I had spent my you know career knowing in the department, uh, stating that uh, Mr. Baker was in the hospital. Uh, directly went to the hospital, met with family members. This was two weeks before Philando Castile was killed on the north border of St. Paul in Falcon Heights. Uh, little did I know at the time. You know, I, I think about what would have happened without that relationship where the president of the NAACP calls me to the hospital and meeting with the family. And uh, Mr. Baker, I'll never forget, uh, had, had told me at the time, you know, because he knew who I was. He said, Chief, you know, I can I can see that dog bite. You know, I can see how that that mistake could happen. But but man, those kicks, those kicks were were, were, were evil. And so. I couldn't apologize for what happened. I could apologize because he was in pain and agony and it was due to an interaction with our police department, but I didn't know what happened yet. So I couldn't apologize for the actions at the time, but I did make a promise, a promise that the community members trusted uh, because of the relationships we built, built up over the decades of knowing each other, that I would do the right thing and I would follow the evidence. And if we made a mistake, if we did something wrong, we would own it and we would make it right. And in fact, we did, we made a terrible mistake. And uh, uh, Mr. Baker didn't say anything until the press conference that I did where I announced what happened, showed the body, the, uh, the dash camera video and made a public apology to Mr. Baker. And um, those are the things that can really turn south where you can have protests in a heartbeat in the community if the community doesn't trust the chief when when he or she says we will do the right thing. Yeah, Chief, I think you just illustrated what, what we talked about at the start of this, that uh, that uh, that 
bank of trust is something that built over time. And I, I think what you've just shown is the fact that uh, an incident occurred, which inevitably, uh, you know, like I said, it's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the jobs that we do. But it was yep. those relationships built over time that allowed you to be able to to engage in those meaningful discussions uh, and work through an issue rather than uh, than put it in public light and, and mm -hmm. just hash this out and change so many people's opinions, you know, kind of taint uh, people's opinions towards law enforcement. So um, I appreciate uh, appreciate the, the description, you get, description you gave. I think we need more of that in law enforcement. Um, I, I would like to, to change gears a little bit because I, I recently read a uh, letter that you wrote to to the city uh, talking about challenges that are facing your agency. And you have a, a very strong agency that, uh, that, that, that really does, uh, does touch all of these spokes that you talk about, a very, very positive running a, uh, agency, a positive image as well. But at the same time, you're dealing with the same challenges that we're seeing across the country. Mm -hmm. um, two years of demonization of law enforcement has taken its toll on every agency. And at a time when uh, we're seeing officers retire at a rate much higher than they ever have before, we've seen seasoned officers leaving our profession and taking other jobs just because of the instability that exists within our agencies. And at the same time, trying to find law enforcement officers, the next wave, those best and brightest that are going to be the next ones to, to shape law enforcement uh, as we move forward, they're just not stepping up and taking the job at a level that uh, that we need to. And, and unfortunately, this is not a problem that fixes itself overnight. Uh, we all know that uh, when you hire a law enforcement officer, that uh, that we're probably to looking at a, a four or five, maybe even longer year journey before they become an effective officer. So when you lose, lose an experience at, at, a, at a real high rate um, and not bringing in anywhere as near there, we're causing a whole lot of problems for our profession. Uh, not only are, are we having manpower shortages, but we also having officer wellness issues because of the, the lack, you know, the demand that are placed on officers. Um, and reading the, uh, the, the letter that you wrote to, to the city, a very thoughtful approach, recognizing that, uh, that there has to be stability to, to the law enforcement profession. Here you are an agency that, that really is, uh, has got all of your, uh, everything running in the right direction, but you're still, faced with those same challenges. And it, it, it just shows that uh, the, even when you're getting it right, you can still get it wrong if you don't uh, pay attention to the needs. And, and I really appreciate the, the, the tone of your letter and, and what, needed to, what needed to be said and needed to be heard and how it affects every agency. If you could talk a little bit about uh, this, these challenges that you're faced in your community and your agency in keeping the best and brightest on a job to, to make our community safe. Yeah, thank you. This is such a, a, a trying historic time in our profession, a time that I, I I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that I would be in a position today as as chief where we are losing officers at the rate we are compared to any other time in the past. St. Paul, Minnesota has, has always had a, a, a and still does have has a great reputation of, of policing in the state. We have been really one of the top two maybe organizations in the state. Um, that's been the destination organization where officers have wanted to come here for 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 years. There were over a thousand officers who applied for the jobs when I was hired back in in uh, 1989. Our last uh, job posting, which just ended recently. We had 99 applicants. Out of that, right now, we're down to 62 people 
who are eligible for to start the background process. So it's really early on. So even if even if we were in a position where I had a budget authority to hire 200 officers, th there's no way I could do that at this point. It's just it's it's terrible. And when I look at over the years of my my experience in St. Paul, we would lose one here and one there. Maybe, you know, we lost an officer to uh, to maybe the FBI and actually the officer I'm thinking of with that. He came back to us. He didn't like uh, his, his time over at the FBI. So we hired him back in a heartbeat. A few others that went went to some of the federal agencies or the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, but very, very few. And now over the last couple of years, we're losing uh a lot, a lot of officers who, you know, have five, 10, 15 years on the job who are going to uh, outstate or the suburbs to work in communities as I, as I talk with them after they leave the organization, they're, they're going to work for more money. Uh, they're going to work for more support in some of the communities they are serving. And I have sounded the alarm with, uh, with, with our, with our city. And, you know, sometimes that'll ruffle the feathers of, of some elected officials. But again, getting back to those four pillars, if you're attending to the community in the media and the workforce, as long as you have three of those are, uh, uh, you know, if, if you don't lose three of the pillars, you're going to be fine. So even when the politicians get upset with you, if your other three pillars are supported, uh, you're going to be fine in really raising, uh, raising the, uh, the dangerous concern that I have of an overworked police department where more uh, accidents can happen when you have tired officers, officers that can't get a day off, officers who have been without a contract for approximately 800 days now. It's unacceptable. We, 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 we owe the women and men of law enforcement um, better than, than they're receiving now. And I'm going to continue to sound that alarm. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, is, is we don't have enough police officers applying for the positions that we need to keep our community safe. And to me, there's nothing more important in a community than making sure they are safe and they feel safe. Yeah, this and this is a this is a narrative that we really need to have, uh, and nationally, uh, in agencies across this country, because we're all struggling. Uh, that I, I'm not I'm not aware of an agency that does not have a hiring issue right now because of the culture, uh, not culture, but but basically the the attacks on law enforcement and instability created by by many who are more interested in a problem than they were with any type of solution. So th th we've done irreparable harm. Uh, the question is, is how do we move forward from here? And, uh, and it takes, it takes the, the, you know, articulate approach, just as, 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 as you've given, uh, every one of us, we need to educate the, the, the public in, in the places, uh, each one of our communities and just how important the quality of life is, uh, based on, uh, on people's, on, on our citizenry's, uh, feel of, of, of an effective and efficient, uh, and, and empowered an engaged law enforcement agency, uh, chief. If if you could, you know, we're dealing we're dealing with a crisis. We're dealing with a crisis because our best and brightest in this country are saying there are a whole lot of professions I can go to that are much more stable. It takes a special person, you know, it, 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 ordinary people, you know, law enforcement officers, ordinary people that are called upon to do some pretty extraordinary things at times. And because of that, it takes a certain disposition, a certain, a certain skill set, a, a certain quality uh, of an individual to, to take this job uh, at a time when 
maybe given a whole lot of reasons by a whole bunch of other people that maybe why they shouldn't take it. What would you say um, from, from, from your viewpoint of, of building these relationships over these years, what would you say to, to the best and the brightest out there that are, are entering the workforce and uh, encourage them to, to come into to law enforcement and be that next wave of leaders that help shape the future of law enforcement? Yeah, that's a great point and a great question. You know, it, it, you're right. We none of us, none of us got into this job to uh, be rich. Um, it, it it takes it takes a special person to be a police officer. And today, that the the specialness of that is is um, is profoundly important. Um, you know, we have evolved in this profession significantly. We have we have become more accessible, more thoughtful, more um, uh, connected with our communities across this country. But to me, it, it, it comes down to one thing. Those who possess the heart, the heart for public service uh, are, the, are the ones that we need to be reaching out to as much as we possibly can, encouraging not only our young people to become, to be interested in police officer careers, but we also have to recruit the families because oftentimes we're, we're trying to get young people from our community who face the profession with a, a bit of a, a, a stigma that they're hearing. And, and as we build those relationships with our young people, we always also have to build the relationships with the families to make sure they understand that they're going to be okay. And they're going to be working in an environment where they'll be supported and, and respected. Um, you know, I, uh, I think about uh, the, the early, the early recruitment efforts that need to continue to go on. Now's the time to double down on those early recruitment efforts. And, and you don't have overnight results. You may be looking at, you know, you may have only two years left to serve as chief in an organization or, um, you know, way beyond your time of, of service in your community, but you have to start young. Uh, with junior police academies. We started junior police academies back in 2007 with the YWCA in St. Paul, where the kids are exposed to lifting fingerprints from, from a cup. We bring our crime lab in and they, you know, they enjoy that. They get connected with the SWAT team and the, and, you know, at the time we had motorcycle unit and visited the mounted unit and uh, all of the things that this job can provide that there are no other professions out there where you can have this uh, incredibly fulfilling, dynamic uh, opportunities that that just don't exist anywhere else. And trying to to get people excited about this career at a young age is so critically important. When I became chief in 2016, uh, we started up the Law Enforcement Career Path Academy reaching out with our funders and and uh, being able to raise over $4 million at the time. I know that's not everybody, you know, can do that or has access to the, 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 the philanthropic community to be able to do that. But partnering with AmeriCorps, our Century College, our local college and university, we found people who had that heart for service in St. Paul who had barriers to uh, education, to transportation, finances, we brought them in and they worked with our department for three years while we paid for their schooling. And now every academy since we've had a graduates, a total of 21 graduates from our law enforcement career path academy. So it may not happen tomorrow, but we all need to do everything we can to be as creative as we possibly can 
even if the return on investment is five years down the road, uh, because we don't know how long this gap is going to exist. And we also have to make sure our, our community, our entire community understands the challenges. Getting people out to offer those ride-alongs are so important. You know, earlier I mentioned this uh, uh, a bad incident that happened on the first day of the job that resulted in this just horrific, tragic incident. Uh, but also making sure on the backside of that, you know, I, I, we always say that if you expect your workforce to listen to you when they're wrong, you damn well better back them up when they're right. And I think back to a couple of years ago when one of our officers in the Western District was just driving along on a beautiful uh, afternoon and gets rear-ended from uh, a man who gets out of his car. Thankfully, the officer uh, double-tapped the uh, body-worn camera, immediately gets out, and he was attacked with a knife. I mean, viciously, violently attacked with this knife. The officer defended himself and, um, you know, tragically had to uh, shoot and kill the suspect. Immediately, we have protesters showing up in the street without any knowledge of, of what happened. And this is where uh, law enforcement leaders, we need to get up sometimes like the umpire out of the dugout, kick up that dust. That's so important uh, for the workforce and the community to see when officers need to be uh, backed up and supported. And uh, during the press conference, I remember uh, one of the things I mentioned is that um, being a police officer or wearing a badge doesn't make you wrong any more than a protester with a megaphone and it's standing in a street automatically makes you right. And those are the times where we really have to uh, talk to the community and talk to people who want to speak stupidly about things they don't know about. Because without support from leaders in law enforcement, the recruitment problem will never improve without that. Yeah, these these discussions, uh, consensus, and uh, and I guess a mutual respect starts with uh, just a single conversa conversation. It has to start yeah. somewhere. Every journey starts with with the with the first step. So, uh, well said, uh, Chief. They, I, you know, I, one thing that I really took from from uh, the position that you've taken, I, I think a lot of times in law enforcement, you look at administration, you look at unions, you look at maybe somewhat of an adversarial relationship and we see them across the country where we they lack that connectivity and uh and your strong words of of the need for the for the men and women of your department to 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 have that stability uh and, and calling for the for the city to to give them a contract and recognize the role they play and the importance of that contract has of providing stability um if you're talking to administrators across this country uh, just as you you articulate Given gave a great uh, description of, of what uh, our youth needs to consider in, in taking our others uh, to coming into this profession. What message would you give to to administrators across this country who are dealing with uh, a lot of the same problems? Well, again, it all gets back to those uh, the four pillars or the or the four spokes. But uh, making sure we one of those spokes, as I mentioned, is is the workforce and the union. It's so important to uh, build the relationships and the bank of trust with with the union. Um, without the trust, you uh, you'll never you'll never get anywhere. You may not always agree. Matter of fact, you know half the time we're not going to agree on on everything. But uh, when you get up from the end of a meeting and you haven't lied to each other, you can shake your hand and acknowledge 
the differences, but uh, that that's so critically important. And at the end of the day, we all have to remember that we, we truly want the same thing, right? We became police officers because we want people to be safe. We, we want safe communities. We want the best pay for our officers. We want the best equipment for our officers. We want the best training uh, for our officers. Uh, and again, driving home the point of safe communities. And if you attend to the, pil the pillars that I speak of or the spokes, we can all do that. I, I, I often tell the officers who I connect with, the best way to get the best contract and the best pay is to make sure your community demands it of their elected officials. So that's what that's what we try to do. We need to, to continue to build that relationship with the people who can put the pressure on, on, on the folks writing the checks in our cities. Uh, Chief, uh, congratulations. Uh, just uh, what a what a what a what a, a great uh, career, and, and certainly have left your mark on a profession. And thank you for your years of service, and uh, and uh, wish you the absolute best in your 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 next chapter in your life. If, if someone wants to to learn a little bit more about the St. Paul Police Department and, and the, uh, the programs that you have, what would be the best way for them to to go about uh, about getting that information? So uh, you could just Google uh, stpaul.gov, or as I'm going to be here about six more weeks before I retire, I'm going to give you my uh, personal email address. Anybody would like to connect with me, this is the best email. It's Todd, T-O-D-D dot Axtell, A-X-T-E-L-L at gmail.com. Please give me a uh, shoot me an email. I'm I'm available to uh, uh, you know bounce ideas off of, help in any way I possibly can because we all are in this together. Anything I can do to help support uh, officers, deputies, troopers, um, chiefs, and sheriffs, I'm here for you. Well, Chief Axel, thanks you. Thank you for for all you do. Congratulations again, and to our viewers, thank you for tuning in uh, to to the Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up to communities all across this country every day and protect and serve those that we've sworn to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the Blue View, hosted by Patrick Yost, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police. To catch our next episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. See you next time.